In our inaugural episode, we kick off the podcast Mix Life ATL, a podcast review of the hit sitcom Mixdish. We'll talk about our lives as they relate to main character Rainbow Johnson and start to introduce her hilarious family members. Here we are. Welcome to our first official podcast show, Mix Life ATL. Yes, this has been in the works for some time now, and I couldn't be more thrilled than to be starting our series. So let's introduce ourselves. I'm Shannon, a wife, mother, producer, creative, activist, and biracial Black woman, and I'm also very passionate about storytelling. I think telling your story is a major gift you can give to the world, and who better to do that than with one of my closest friends and now co-host, Tarana. Hi, everyone, and thank you, Shannon, for being bringing me along on this journey. We should have been recording our friendship for the past 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. I am also <laughs> a wife, mother, writer, producer, and biracial woman of color. Shannon and I met while producing television, as I said, about a decade ago. Um, this particular show we met on was for BET. I've also worked for Latinx Media, and all of this is relevant because um, and why I'm a mixed-ish fangirl, y'all, mm-hmm. absolute mixed-ish fangirl. Um, And that's because I've had an obsession with representative storytelling. That's mostly because I never saw my experience reflected on television growing up biracial in Seattle. And so this show, you know, is absolutely earth shattering when you think about race relations in this country and that we're at this point in 2020 where there's a television show about a mixed young mixed girl growing up in the 80s. Mm hmm. And you know, I, I can't believe it's taken that long for one to show this story, True. but also I can't believe how long we've known each other now. And to be producing together again is going to be so much fun. So this is also like, is this work? Is this, I don't know. It's passion project. It's fun. It's all that. So I'm just excited. And I've been wanting to talk about the sitcom in particular, since I heard the announcement on ABC, um, I've just been super excited. I had to be part of it in some way. So to do it with you in particular, I'm very, very, very excited. And, um, you know, just like the main character Rainbow, we grew up biracial in the 80s. Watching this show, it's like we're reliving our childhood with the hair, the clothes, and Mariah singing the theme song, though she's more a 90s pop star, but biracial as well. So it's awesome to see that. And at first, I I was a bit overwhelmed. I felt a little bit... um, you know, honestly, just a little jealous that in 20 minutes, you know, you could come to these conclusions as a 12, 13 year old um, about life and about identity and race. And, um, you know, again, it's a sitcom. It's unrealistic, but we love all of the topics that they're tackling. And um, but it's it's awesome, <laughs> you know, but she's definitely processing some big conclusions in a roughly 20 minute show, you know, <laughs> so and it's absolutely hilarious and absolutely accessible to anyone, whether mm-hmm. you are interested in race issues or not, even if you're interested in identity identity issues. And we all have them, people. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a character in this show for you. And so if you're asking, like, what's the big deal? I think we covered that. Why is it such a big deal, the show Mixed-ish, and to see yourselves on television, people? And I would just say watch one episode. You know, there is so much to unpack. I yeah. think, you know, racism affects white people, black people, Latino people, Asian people, it affects all of us as Americans. And I think there is something in here, a nugget that you, that will resonate with you. I mean, you know, multiracial families, biracial families, I like to say are now popular. We're kind of the end thing. I mean, there's Cheerio commercials with mixed race (laughs) families. We had a 
biracial black president who talked all the time about his white grandmama. Mm-hmm. And growing up in, in the 80s, though, versus 2020, I mean, it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because back then, I don't feel like the world could really process our identities. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because of the racial baggage in this country. We've come a very long way in having more open conversations and people being more accepting of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still not enough for sure. And it will continue for a long time. There's still baggage there. That's, yes. There's still baggage there. Um But again, just to introduce why the significance of this podcast is that it's really from the perspective of a very specific generation of people. Mm-hmm. Shannon and I are members of what's called the loving generation. Mm-hmm. So this is the the generation of folks who came of age after the Supreme Court decision, Loving versus Virginia, that knocked down miscegenation laws in this country, that said enough this is probably not constitutional <laughs> that we tell black people and white people not to get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So these, we are of, we're kind of these children who came of age when th- this is the first, you know, I guess generation who, mm-hmm. who was living in, in kind of a we were experiment. We were legal. <laughs> Our parents' marriages were legal. I think my parents' marriage was legal only like two years after they struck this down. Yeah, um, and so this is a very experimental mm-hmm. um, generation we belong to. Mm-hmm. And how did they talk about it on the show? I loved the term they coined. Oh, God, they call it <laughs> ready. You're going to hear this in every episode. We love it. Beta testers for biraciality. I mean, come on. And, Brilliant. <laughs> you know, again, you may be saying, well, what's the big deal? When you see these issues being unpacked, you will not ask that question. Exactly. I <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, just to um, break down a little history of the loving generation um, and the loving case, rather, with uh, the state of Virginia versus the loving rather versus the state of Virginia case was with Richard and Mildred loving um, who fought for their marriage um, and to be married, to live in the same home under the same roof in the same state, you know, just to fight for that basic right as a family. And they had to move their family all around and it was, um, you know, awful and they were scared. And actually Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, gave them, a lot of strength in fighting for that. And um, there has been a film since that you can check out about them. But um, so this specific group of us, uh, you know, beta testers is from 1967 to 1982. Those born in that 1967 to 1982 uh, window of biracial children. And in my opinion, we're definitely a special bonded, specially bonded generation, which is why we had to do this podcast, you know, to Tehran and I both being part of that and, and then seeing Rainbow Johnson and that representation on television and our background in producing television, we just had to, to get in here and be part of this conversation um, and, and tell the stories. It's important. Yeah. And let me be clear, but we do not think we're special or more special than anybody else. We're just saying that because I that's heard right. I've heard that before. Oh, you think you're special because your dad's right. black and your mom's white. And you want to call yourself both. No, no, no. What I'm saying is there are things we can learn um, by from our struggles and um, experiences walking through the world as both mm-hmm. black and white. And because we did have a black and white parent, both mm-hmm. Shannon and I had a very similar experience. But of course, we embrace 
every experience out there if you are biracial or multiracial. And we want to hear from you. We'll be inviting you to talk about your mm-hmm. your particular experience. But that when we say special, I just want to be really yeah. clear that that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I definitely didn't intend that we are. No, no, no. I just, but <laughs> yeah. some people, but would. You, yeah, some people, right. would, so I just had to right. back that up a little and bit. There, you know, there's just, there's so much in between like the spectrum of, okay, you know, um, so you're biracial. Oh, so you're just black or the extreme where you don't want to claim it at all. I mean, there's a lot <laughs> in there and, you know, um, just with, with, with Bo and her family in this episode, they're, they're learning, they're hearing the term mixed for the first time. So this episode, the first episode in Mixish is called Becoming Bo and um you know, aka uh Bo for Rainbow Johnson from Blackish and her narrative around her upbringing. And um so we find her and her siblings like hearing this term for the the first time, this peculiar label mixed, <laughs> you know. And um, and it begins with the cast of Blackish kind of, you know, of course, Dre, like teasing Bo again about her background and about not really, you know, knowing Black culture much. But, you know, she's also was raised on a commune for the first, what, 12, 13 years of her life. So she missed out on a lot of pop culture, period, let alone Black culture or any kind of culture outside of the commune. So, um you know, her husband, Dre, who's played by Anthony Anderson, he's just disgusted with her that she has not seen this show or this movie rather break in. And uh, I have a confession. I have not seen the film either. Neither have I. I guess, I guess Seattle, <laughs> Washington in the 80s is a little bit of a commune <laughs> in and of itself. But this, yeah. this concept that the show's creator creators come up with is actually brilliant that they came from this race blind commune is really a way to juxtapose kind of two ways of approaching race in life. Some people walk through the, their American lives and they say, I don't see color. And the other people are like, no color is everything and you've made it so. And so it's going to be so, and I'm going to be actually turn that around on its head and make it proud Mm -hmm. to be so. So I feel like they're brilliant because they get that whole span of experiences in in there. And the the commune, it represents, I think more of the ideological Mm -hmm. race blind. We're all the same kumbaya mentality that contrasts with the other, the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And can I just say that I would have totally loved to live there and like the TP with the <laughs> growing my own food and my family all snuggled up together. They looked so happy and obviously blissful because they're not in the world, you know, the real world um, that we live in every day. Um, so it's definitely unrealistic, but you know, the hippie in me, my inner hippie, I guess, would have loved it. <laughs> well, I'm from the West Coast, as I've said, so bring it on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So. Well, let's dive into Rainbow, um, the young Rainbow Johnson, a.k.a. Bo. Um, she's played by the actress Erica Hamill, who is wonderful and so natural as a young Bo. And I couldn't help but wonder, you know, what's her personal experience that she's bringing to this character? And um, she is indeed biracial. Her mother is Black and Liberian-American, and her father's white. And she's born and raised in uh, New York City. And a off-Broadway star, um, so to speak, she had one show, I believe, called The Layover. I'm interested to know more about that. But a fun fact about her is that her mother 
is a Grammy-nominated artist from the group CNC Music Factory. Hello, 80s pop music. Try not to sing right now. (laughs) Our 80s anthems, uh, or anthem rather, Everybody Dance Now. Do you all remember the the song? I mean... (laughs) Ooh, try not to sing. And that's from mom. That's amazing. So, of course, she, you know, learned a lot from her, but... So many memories dancing to that fun song. And it's a fun little tidbit about Erica's little background. But we got to go to the um, Savannah College of Art and Design's ATV Festival and um, get to see a panel of the cast from Mixish with Erica and Tika Sumpter, who plays her mother, and Mark Paul, who plays her father, and then one of the writers, producers, um, Peter and so that was really awesome to just to hear the tidbits from them. But then Erica telling us her personal story about getting into character and how she got to talk to Tracy Ellis Ross, who plays Bo from Mixish, um, you know, and got a little advice from her saying, you know, just be yourself. Like, don't worry too much about trying to match the mannerisms and all that. And I thought that was awesome. And you can tell that she's very relaxed in the character, which makes it more authentic and just, you know, representative of the stage of life she's in. And it just, it's, um, it represents the uniqueness of coming of age and finding your identity as a woman and racially, which is a lot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and you would hope that the ish universe would be very accepting of, you know, making it their own experience. And and that's why it's such a phenomenal group of, of creatives who've 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 made this right. um, blackish and mixedish, and so yeah. to to back up Tracy Ellis Ross is very who's phenomenal. I'm mm-hmm. so in love with her mother. I'm in love with her, mm-hmm. um, but she narrates uh, Bo's character. Right. So we hear it's young Bo, and in a retrospective narration, Tracy is with us throughout the show, which is special if you're a fan of hers. Um, but what's so brilliant about this young character Bo is that she's innocent. She's aloof. She's goofy. She's a 12-year-old, a real 12-year-old. And that humanizes her to the extent that anybody can access her um, her personality and her struggle and go on this journey of racial identity with her. Um, there's yeah. just nothing scared about. You know, some people are so scared about the topic of race. And there's just nothing scary to watch in this show. It's mm-hmm. absolutely Side splitting, hilarious, and if you blink, you will miss if you laugh. a ton of stuff. <laughs> if you, if laugh, you laugh at a joke, because they just the next line. It's just <laughs> packed. Um, but her coming of age story was my story. Um, there were a few coming of age books I read, mostly um, in my early adulthood. Um, you know, Rebecca Walker, you know, James McBride, um, a lot of some biracial writers I've read and and really been grateful for. But seeing this on television is just a whole new world. It's a revolution. And um, it's weird that I had to wait to my mid 40s to see it. We should have written the show. (laughs) Oh, trust me. Trust (laughs) and believe Um, there were those ideas of how I would be you know, I wanted to see that story. I've wanted to see this story for so long. And, you know, being biracial is not monolithic, just, you know, like any culture, we're not all the same. So there's definitely many differences to Bo's Mm -hmm. experience versus ours. But again, just being that it is the 80s, it is this loving generation. um, And there are things that we can definitely tackle in in the similarities. But, um, you know, I'm the oldest of three. She's the oldest of three. There's just a lot, you know, of little similarities. But again, um, you know, 
<laughs> I'm just it's of, nice to not just be telling the tragic mulatto yes, story. Yes, that's why I'm so proud. I should have been more clear. Like That's why I'm so proud of her. She's so strong. It doesn't mean that she doesn't fall down, that she's not sad, but she is not tragic. She is not the tragic mulatto that is really the only representation of mixed race you know, identity that a lot of what we've seen over the Mm -hmm. years, I mean, imitation of life is that classic movie that everybody kind of goes to, you know, we think of Holly Berry and, and, and some of the characters who have played these, the the tragic mulatto character. And it's just so nice to see us just expand a little bit (laughs) and get out of that, get out of that a little bit. So Bravo again, mixed dish. Right. Yeah, totally. And, you know, specifically going into a little bit of our background and what we were doing in 1985 as this show starts is I was actually um, moving from Brooklyn, Queens, New York City to West Michigan. And um, and I remember I was a little bit younger than Bo, but I distinctly remember this forever, will remember this moment when we, you know, my whole reality was totally shifted and culture was totally shifted to West Michigan. That would have been a majority like white Dutch German settlement um, demographic. And we had sprinkles. We had actually, we did have some of the refugee. So there was a little bit of mixing of Latino and um, Asian like Vietnam. And so there was a little bit of a little bit out, you know, of other, so to speak, but coming from a very colorful New York city vibe to, to West Michigan was definitely, um, a huge shift for me. And, um, you know, granted we didn't live on a commune, but our family definitely bonded together, kind of, you know, clung to each other because, you know, we only understood each other and we advocated for each other and we just, um, no one was going to understand our experience. We were, you know, you're looked at as kind of, um, always the odd ones, so to speak. And, um, you know, we, we, we had to, it was our normal. Um, and, but it did in some ways, it did give me a false sense of the world because my parents loving each other was my normal, but not the world's. It gave me a delayed understanding of how divided our country is from the sins of this nation and the lack of lament and reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah. My parents uh, were very good friends and in love. Men in college, again, black dad, white mom um, in the late sixties, early seventies. And um, I think that's one thing I identify with Bo. She had a very strong family structure. Mm -hmm. And though my parents eventually divorced, I guess we can talk later about whether I think that was race related. I don't necessarily think so, mm. but the pressures were really there on their marriage. I can say because of mm. race, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was a refuge. Mm. Um, and also just finding, so, you know, even though I had racism on my mother's side of the family, the white side, definitely um, my family event was very accepting of me. And um, I had a lot of, I had a lot of confidence because mm-hmm. they made me resilient in telling me you have the best of both worlds. And then of course mm-hmm. I lived in Seattle. It was a little easier to say that mm-hmm. <laughs> than the South probably mm-hmm. in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Bellevue, Washington was a lot different than Atlanta, Georgia in mm-hmm. 1985, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that my also, my dad also was 
football coach in the NFL, and there was a lot of interracial marriages in the NFL. And so mm-hmm. sports created this own, its own little utopia and community. And of course, um, I, I used to call Seattle and then I the mixed race Mecca. And then I moved to Oakland, where it also was kind of the mixed race Mecca. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I do have these experiences of growing up where this is um, more common or accepted probably than it was in the South, but mm-hmm. we still had our challenges for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, in the show, when Bo and her siblings have to go to school for the first time, I felt their anxiety, like seeing the looks on their faces and their eyes wide open, um, like a deer in headlights. It was like, it was like that for me in 1985, being the new kid, um, you know, coming from Brooklyn and, and also knowing that it, it definitely had to do with being, um, and you know, I didn't understand this at the time when I was very young, but when you process it, as you get older, you realize this is because I was, um, the biracial kid because, you know, mostly if it was majority white, but if there was anyone of color, you know, they're, um, darker skin, brown skin. And, um, I'm the one that's like, what, what what's going on there? You know? <laughs> um, and for them, for the kids to hear and, you know, the, the term for Bo and her siblings to be hearing the term mixed for the first time and what being asked, what is mixed? That's a whole moment and experience experience in itself. And so I guess I want to talk more about how, you know, we learned as kids that we were quote unquote mixed race um, and how we dealt with, you know, the questions of, you know, are you mixed and what are you? And, you know, I know my dad for one didn't like that term. He wanted us to be called biracial. Um, he really felt like that's describing a dog, like breed, you know, mixed red dog or something, you know? So, um, but yes, my parents also said best of both worlds, but you know, the racial construct it's, it's there, the pressure is there. And so when you're just talking about mixed, it just, it was interesting. And there was a lot of questions for me growing up <laughs> I had a ton, but I think my parents were still trying to figure it out too, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. The, um, so yeah, even though our parents tried to give us a very loving, supportive environment and just say, you know, you are both like um, it, the, the reality is, and they tackle this in the show is that our parents did, we faced, you know, racism from both sides, perhaps mm-hmm. as, as they say later, we'll tackle that later in the show, but Mixtus addresses that. And, um, so we kind of probably got racism from black people and white people, not to say our parents didn't black people and white people could equally discriminate against a mixed race family. Um, but we had a unique experience from our parents that they, they certainly couldn't understand all the time. And, you know, more than Matt being asked if I was mixed, I was asked, what are you? Mm-hmm. which to me, I found totally offensive. Excuse me. Even as a kid, I remember looking at people going, how asinine, like mm-hmm. how immature does that sound that collectively as a country, you are handicapped. The, the country is handicapped collectively. You cannot process me being two races mm-hmm. because of these binary notions of race that are mm-hmm. rooted in slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've written a lot about this because I just think it's so peculiar and pr- probably uniquely American that because of the one drop rule mm-hmm. that was a, was racist. It was basically was black, like black blood was so potent that Mm -hmm. if you had just one drop, you are all the way black. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you going to use that black people or white people to make assumptions about my race and how Mm -hmm. I like to identify? Mm -hmm. So, and I understand the empowerment piece of 
black culture and saying, let's take that power back, yes. you know, and saying, yes. like, let's just, but um, there's, yes. again, we're talking about the in-between of that. I think I was just talking with a neighbor about it. You know, a lot of people know mixed race people and to just sweep it all and say, well, you're black. The experience that we had is not a just, I mean, the black experience, again, we're not monolithic and it's vast. But part of that black experience is this mixed race biracial experience that we do not talk about. And, you know, um, it's it's time. It's time. <laughs> it's time. And that's why the show is just so brilliant because it, it really is very precise and authentic in terms, mm-hmm. I think, in, ter- in, in terms of how it breaks down this one facet of the mixed race experience. I will, I will allow that. You know, I understand Bo's experience is not everybody's experience. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't skip over any of the discomfort, you know, they actually break things down with, in the show with um, animation and graphics, which I think is hilarious because yes. we do need to get back to ABCs here a lot and go back to the drawing board um, and understand why we believe some of the things we believe. Um, and also to laugh, to keep from crying. Right. <laughs> like, I love that they bring that humor into this because it's definitely very serious for me to be yes. discussing it. I mean, yeah. it needs to have been discussed for a long time. There's lots of things that have need to be, have like, you know, our country just has not addressed a lot of, of oh. issues, obviously. Um, this being one that's just at the forefront of me because it's my Yes, it is experience. not funny. It is not <laughs> funny, but just, just hear this but from someone humor, who has spent 40 years lear- living this experience and being challenged every day, almost. I mean, there'd be mm-hmm. an experience every day where someone was like, you're what? Mm-hmm. You can't be both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that developed, develops over a year, over the years, a real strong conviction. Um, I've done a lot of research and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not on my life, but just on the, his, you know, why historically we think like this as a society. Yeah. Um, so you should talk about, I mean, so you identify as a biracial um woman of color. Yes. Right. And yeah, there's a reason for that. That was yeah. an evolution. Um, yeah. there's a reason for that. I, de- I identify as biracial because I had, a, I had two, I grew up two races. I had a black mama, white dad and very much both experiences. And so to, to call myself one, which of, of course would just be black because I would not call myself white. You're right. Because I don't, I look like a woman of color. I have been, um, People mistake me for um, Latina, which I'm very proud to be considered to look like a Latina. I think Latinas are beautiful. So I also happen to speak Spanish fluently. So that is very normal. So I identify very much with with my my sister Latinas, but I am not Latina. Um, I've been mistaken as so many different things that I kind of take on the woman of color, mm-hmm. um, label because I'm tr- I have solidarity mm-hmm. with all women of color mm-hmm. and I'm, um, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really, really I yeah. call myself that, uh, as opposed to biracial black woman. I have mm-hmm. no problem. I also consider myself a black woman. Um, most of my, my sister girlfriends are black, but it's just woman of color. It just feels right for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I have taken on, um, the title of biracial black woman. I just, you know, again, this is personal, you know, when, when you're put, you're deciding what you are racially identifying with, um, if anything at all, you know, it's a social construct we're forced into a bit, but, um, you know, it's definitely personal and it's complex. I really have felt, I, like you said, I'm, no one's going to look at me as a white woman. Um, 
but they barely do look at me as a black, you know, just black woman either. Um, but my heritage, my family, my, um, I, I just identify with the umbrella of black when you understand the, the, the African diaspora and just how diverse we are as a people, um, as black people of African descent, it's just, um, you know, it's, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. And so with me and my family and, you know, my black husband, my black kids who have biracial heritage, you know, <laughs> and unpacking that with them, I, it's, it's kind of an advocacy of justice piece for me. Um, to say that now when we're in the 2020 census, you know, I'm sitting there writing everything out and it's just, it's interesting um, how we break that down. Like, I don't know if you filled your census out and I wasn't even intending to talk about this, but, um, and I know we we're going to talk about some of that later, but, um, you know, I sat there because this has changed like in the last 20 years, the last three census forms we filled out you know, we didn't even get the option, you know, 30 years ago to, to put anything biracial or just break that down. Right. So, um, I'm, you know, my kids are black, but I'm putting their ethnicities in there and I'm just putting the real deal. Like they do have English ethnicity and they do have Nigerian ethnicity and they have the Trinidad and they, you know, I mean, um, let's just understand like black is, uh, a lot. And there's a lot of people who have definitely gone through life, not claiming it at all and hiding it. And for me, I just, um, have just chosen again, it's a personal thing, but I'm a proud black woman that's biracial <laughs> you yeah, know? It, it and it's yeah. the experience. It's also tied into the experience for me because I, um, looking at my white mother with her freckles and her blonde hair and her blue eyes, and she can barely sit in the sun. And this was my experience growing up. You know, I'm just saying like, you know, I didn't have a black mom. <laughs> so I'm looking at her and this is my experience. This is part of who I am. This is part of why I can burn in the sun, you know, at times. So it's like, it's, it's an experience and, and our family went through it. And yeah. that is part of that identity piece to me too. Yeah. Ident identity is so personal. I mean, it is so personal. And so I think that's why we have to start learning about each other and listening mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I felt rejected every time I filled out a form because it said black, mm -hmm. white, other, as if other were some kind of a, ooh, you just must be a reject. So again, like Rainbow Johnson, a resilient kid who figured it out, I guess eventually I came to the point where I figured out what worked for me, which is to make my own box. To the point where in 1993, I went to Girl State in Washington and I put on the, you know, I think our big issue was make changing the census in all forms, mm. you know, all local forms to make sure they, I mean, this was on my mind, you know. Uh, I was a junior in high school then, but by that time I was like, enough of these forms. And then the census changed. Mm -hmm. And then we got so, so much. Then we got, well, no, no, no. We didn't submit that to anybody. That was a total, you know, we were, we were playing around and mm. it was all pretend, but um, I can't remember when the census changed. Was it 2000 census? It was, um, yes. So that was six years before. Mm -hmm. I remember that being, that was uh, seven years before the, the 2000 census, census chain. And by the way, there was so much more that came out and really helped along, you know, helping us deconstruct our notions of race when the 2000 census hit. 
-hmm. And there were so many more stories. That was really before Mixed Dish. Mm -hmm. It was really the waterfall uh, when the dam broke, so to speak, in in America. Mm -hmm. um, When we finally, there was that epic Time magazine cover Mm -hmm. of all the different people Mm -hmm. and the mixed race American. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, finally, they're figuring it out. They're going to delve into this experience. finally being acknowledged, (laughs) which is crazy. But 2000. (laughs) So many years Now we're in 2020. 20 years later, we got a television show. Right. So, you know, we're doing good. Yes. You know, you know, but Bo is, is doing a great job teaching the country what it means to be mixed. And because, you know, the way I, you know, we both self-identified um, ourselves. It's it's just we're we're able to see um, the strong conviction, you know. So it's awesome. It's awesome. But I think you know, uh, the, again, there's so much more work to do. But going back even to an experience I recently had when I got to go to the Equal Justice Initiative uh, Legacy Museum. Um, from enslavement to mass incarceration and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice that's in Montgomery. I think this is a place every American should go and take a pilgrimage for sure. Um, We need to understand this history to understand each other. And um, just when you think you know it all, you don't. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many more stories and information to be told out there. So um, it's it's very important. And I I appreciated at one point that they highlighted, um, you know, uh, the fact that uh, many people were lynched because of this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's that's how you know significant. Um, because of miscegenation, the, you mean? Yes. I mean, yes. To be, <laughs> yes. Let me back it up. Okay. There was a lot of lynchings. There was a lot of lynchings. <laughs> not laughable, but, sorry, but talking about funny. marriage and biracial marriages. Um, and people were getting lynched to have a relationship. You know, that's the importance of the loving versus the state of Virginia. You know, they were scared for their lives, really. Um, so, you know, when there's policy written, which they highlighted at this museum, I, I had to note it. And I just wanted to read, you know, some of the policy from two states, Louisiana, Louisiana and Nebraska. And so the first one um, was from the 1942 Louisiana Criminal Code, Article 740, miscegenation, which is a disgusting word um, mm-hmm. defined as the interbreeding of people considered to be different racial types. Now, interbreeding, y'all, I mean, we're talking about cats and dogs. What's what's up? So miscegenation <laughs> is uh, written in this code um, as the marriage or cohabitation um, that states miscegenation is marriage cohabitation with knowledge of their differences in race between a person of Caucasian race and a person of the Negro or color race. Whoever commits a crime of miscegenation will be imprisoned with or without hard labor for more than five years. For not more than five years. For not more than five years. Thank you. And, um, you know, wow. So then in, in, uh, Nebraska from the 1943 Nebraska statement on interracial marriage, marriages are void when one party is a white person and the other is possessed of one eighth or more Negro, Japanese, or Chinese blood. You know, so it's it's written in our um, government, our <laughs> everything. It's it's. I mean, going back, obviously, we're talking about slavery as it's just dominoed into. All yeah. of this. And we're not, you know, we're, this is what this is about. It's, it's, it's yeah. taking on, 
artificial constructs that are just unnecessary and just examining, you know, how they've impacted, impacted our lives, our policies, mm-hmm. um, our family throughout the years. And, and, and we just want to create a very safe zone here. Anybody, um, with no judgment. Yeah. It's just exploring. Right. Cause it's, it's, it's all, um, it's all contributed to how we relate to each other and how we treat each other. And when it comes to race, how we talk about it. <laughs> so, um, again, why we're appreciating this show mixed dish. And so I, I think I'm ready to start unpacking, um, a bit of the episode, but also more so even the characters of the show and Bo's family. Um, you know, her mother played by Tika Sumter is amazing in the show. She's, you know, often has a drama background, but she brought comedy to this role. That's just awesome. And she's, you know, her black mother, um, on the show and we love Tika, but she's, you know, been busy with movies and, um, you know, all kinds of projects recently, just like Mark Paul, who's busy doing a lot of drama as well. But, you know, in Tika's role as Alicia, um, as Bo's mother, it's interesting to me because she's a Berkeley educated lawyer who chooses to marry a white freedom rider that marched with Martin Luther King Jr. And they lived in this commune and they've been married when the show starts, they've been married now for 15 years. And, um, you know, this mixed race couple in the seventies who begins their lives together infused with the optimistic ideology that doesn't talk about race and accepts everyone as they are, you know, um, and just talking like they're blissful hippies, like we say, you know, it's a familiar story though of, um, you know, having to choose a, a woman, um, as a woman who can transform a bit, right. Like to her lawyer role from hippie to lawyer. Yes. <laughs> so to speak. Yes. But, the duality the of com- women is very much yes. on, on show there. The layers. In the show. Mm-hmm. Yes. On show in the show. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, when Bo and the family sees her dressed up in her pinstripe suit, you know, because she's like, I got to work, you know, and um, that, that I could see, you know, um, I could see the struggle. It's like, we're giving up our past. We're giving up how we were operating. We're, you know, we're moving to this next chapter and the resistance that especially Bo is facing is interesting. Um, and, you know, I'm just interested to unpack though, too, that in Bo's experience, she does have a black mother. We did not, right. you know, it's, I, I'm interested to see how it's going to be in the future on the show. Um, to see some of those differences and see how she navigates it with, with the family. Um, You know, she's relating to her children. And I think we've talked about this before you, you've pointed out that women are often the culture bearers. Yeah. You've heard that before or something. And I thought that was interesting of a family tent, so to speak. In my, in my research and just thinking about this for decades, I think a lot of what I've, um, learned is that, you know, we, we think that we, we mostly esteem women and this is not necessarily all the, way, all the time too, is the cultural bearers in the family. So maybe you do identify more as a white woman. For example, I think people would think of me because your mom is white. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily true. It also had to do a lot of, um, I definitely don't think I, I, simil- I, I identify more with white women now, but I think growing up, um, it has it had to do with geography. I was raised by a white woman in Seattle. If I was raised by a black woman in Atlanta, it would have been different. Absolutely. But that's mm-hmm. why identity is so personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my mom faced, um, 
she still faces issues when she goes out with my children who happen to be brown mm-hmm. and um or she's seen with me and she she's and I didn't realize how deep this goes for her. So mm-hmm. if racism affects everybody. It does. And it was very hurtful for her. Um the rejection she felt um by being mostly but from her family, but also from from black, um, from black folks too, who didn't like that she was married to a black man. So mm-hmm. she got on both sides, deeply hurtful to her. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well. and I'll I'll talk more about that about my mom's experience as well. But for for sure, and I think you know, um, having a mother that's white that's not a woman of color, she cannot relate to the experience, and that's that's so. In, you know, a tough thing, I think, to have to, you know, for the parent and for the child. Yeah. To have oh, to navigate through. Oh, we get into through. that when we talk about the hair episode. Yes, yes, yes for yes. sure. Was there any black females, though, in your life that were, you know, mentors? Oh, absolutely. My my great aunt Clara was the reason I became a journalist. She told me stories in her shotgun house in Durham, North Carolina, um, with no air conditioning. And mm. she taught me to love storytelling. And so I would visit these relatives. Um, we had a bunch of mixed race families that I grew up with in Seattle who are our, our, our family. But when I would see the black side was when I would go to Long Beach or Durham and I would see the white side in Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. I definitely look forward to seeing my cousins and my mm-hmm. aunts and people mm-hmm. who, um, that tie mm-hmm. for me because I grew up in Bellevue, Washington, which is not exactly, was not diverse then. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And then of course, as we'll talk about this also, but as I got, grew up and went to search out my friendships, right. As opposed to those friendships being part of circumstance and where I grew up, I definitely enjoyed for the first time these close relationships with black women mm-hmm. that are still to this day my best friends. Yes, yes. And I agree. I had, you know, I had a few family members that were um family friends rather that I would look up to that were also biracial. And I just, you know, you soon realize that it's evident that they're still processing, you know, their identity, their their lives and being part of this loving generation. Um, we're kind of just, we were making it up as we went along, you know? So it was sad to think that we could only base the biracial experience before us on mulattoes who were um, a result of slaves being raped by their white master. It's yeah. sad. And so we're, we're, we were living a completely new and different experience at this point in a time, having had parents that chose one another, despite what others or even their family thought of them. And it was interesting to see if and when, um, it will be interesting to see rather if and when they tackle this part of Alicia and Paul's story on the show, both parents. But um, I think, you know, we're definitely going to continue this uh, introduction <laughs> discussion about the, the characters in the show. Um, it's a great place to stop for now because uh, we'll just have to do a part two for sure. Um, because, we just have a lot to talk about, about the characters still. And, you know, Rainbow's dad, siblings, auntie, grandfather, hilarious of all of them. And so um, revealing. So yes. revealing. Yes. And I hope you all will continue to join us for, for the conversation and journey, doing a deep dive into our experience as the beta testers for biraciality. Make sure you check us out on our website, mixedlifeatl.com, or find us on social media at mixedlifeatl. And tell your friends. Peace out. Bye. 
Mixed Life ATL is recorded in Atlanta, Georgia and produced by SDB360 LLC and Capacity Media. You can hear us wherever mainstream podcasts can be found. For information on how to advertise your business on this podcast, please message us at mixedlifeatl.com. Thank you.